Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 22nd of June, and what I wanted to do for the next show is put out a homework assignment, a really good segment off Ben Shapiro about abortion. And those who followed the show, this show made me pro-life. I wasn't pro-life. I was pro-choice. I really didn't give a shit. thought it was morally reprehensible. I would never ask my significant other to get an abortion because that's just not the way I look at life. It's a creation at conception. But in the research of doing a show in 2017, 2018, I went down a rabbit hole and was disgusted. I found out that Planned Parenthood is just an abortion mill. They don't help women. They're not a pregnancy center. They don't do prenatals. They don't do anything but help you if you get an STD or abort your baby at a great profit. And we give them $655 million a year to do so because Obama made the abortion pill legal. So we're paying for that because that's legal. So we are paying for abortions, which is against the Hyde Act. It isn't a a, a cause that I'm going to go out and burn shit down or report people for getting abortions. But it changed the way I look at it. And it made me pro-life minus. I won't lose sleep or cry if they do overturn Roe and states do basically make abortions illegal. But I think as a nation, 16 weeks, 20 weeks max, that's it. If you haven't made the decision by then, I don't want to hear you didn't know. I don't want to hear rape and incest. At rape and incest, you knew instantly how that baby was conceived. And it's not a big thing. If you don't want it, you abort it. I'm all for that because that's gross. And even though some people carry it to term and God bless them, I know most people aren't going to want to do that. But all this extraneous things they attach to this to try to make it, make their point tenable is bullshit, and it's displayed greatly in an article I was going to cover next podcast. But Ben Shapiro covered it, and he read the article quicker than I could. And I thought it'd be great for episode 608 that we start the show with abortion, and everybody listen to this prior to And we shall discuss because it's an amazing, well, two things are amazing. One, they actually believe this was a pro-abortion article. They did a really poor job on it. And two, how disgusting their morals are. And I I don't want to turn this into a religious show. 
I don't want to talk about morals all the time, but the morals of a nation lead us in many directions. And right now with the left, it's pretty dark. I mean, MAP was something I joked about. It's happening now with the trans abuse. It, it, there's pedophilia. There's sexualization of children, abortion, human life. They're constant pushing to validate people with mental illness who want you to say specific pronouns. And we're all supposed to let four-year-old kids massacre their genitalia and take cross-sex hormones that make them mentally worse and suicidal. And regardless of all the facts you can roll out that we've done on this show, the left still says, you're the demon because you don't think that's good or you don't think live birth abortion should be a thing. You're the monster. You're the fascist. And we've watched for three weeks people break laws and stand in front of Supreme Court justices' houses, which is illegal already. One try to do assassination and now a group has done 60 firebombings of pro-life centers and our DOJ is doing nothing. That all comes from morals. Somehow along the way, the left in every facet has chose no morals. Crime, law, and now the utter fascist green energy that is grinding Americans to a halt, just to a halt, destroying families. So we have to look at things like that. We have to look at that for our candidates. What are their morals? I by no means believe you have to be a Christian. I by no means mean you have to be pious. If anything, in my childhood, Pious Christians led us in a really bad way, which made me liberal. But now it's the liberals that are leading us in a really bad way. With a media that promotes it with false statistics and analysis and lies. And the Washington Post is one of those medias. And they chose to do this article to show how horrible it is not to be able to abort twins. So please listen to this. We will start the next show, probably sooner than Sunday, with this subject. It says a lot about of a, a nation if we don't value children. See you Sunday or sooner. Well. Wow. It is always amazing when the left just can't hear itself. This happens a lot in politics, not just a left-wing problem. It's also a right-wing problem. Very often, people in politics will say a thing, and it's as though the words that come out of their face hole does not reach their ear holes. And when they do that, it's always very telling because you can see that if they had just an ounce of understanding, if they had an ounce of introspection, they would understand that their positions are just not correct, but they don't. And so instead, they end up accidentally promoting a cause that they actually virulently oppose. A great case in point of this is the Washington Post today. So the Washington Post is a wildly pro-abortion newspaper. This is a, a paper 
that spends its days trying to tear into any state that has the temerity to try to ban abortion. It suggests that pro-choice positions are pro-woman positions, that there is nothing wrong at all with abortion. There's an article in the Washington Post today that I really think is just a perfect, wonderful example of how people can't hear themselves when they talk about politics. The article is titled, This Texas Teen Wanted an Abortion. She Now Has Twins. The article is meant to be a rip on Texas's anti-abortion law, which created this kind of strange and interesting legal workaround whereby they didn't actually make abortion illegal. They just said that you could sue anybody. A third party could sue anybody who is participating in an abortion other than the woman. So you could sue the doctor who is participating in an abortion. And this didn't create a state cause of action. So that meant that it wasn't a law that could be struck down by the Supreme Court, at least not temporarily. This was the most effective anti-abortion law in America prior to whatever the Supreme Court is about to do with Roe versus Wade. So again, this article is by a person named Carolyn Kitchener. And it's called, This Texas Teen Wanted an Abortion, She Now Has Twins. Now, right off the bat, right off the bat, the article is doing the reverse of what, of what it wants to do. It wants to suggest that this woman is somehow a victim. But the problem is, the minute you say that she actually had the babies, the babies now exist in the mind of the reader. And so that is going to necessarily force you to ask the question, would it have been better if those babies had been killed? As soon as the babies exist as an object for you to actually think about, the argument is now over because the entire pro-abortion argument revolves around the idea that we have to remain ignorant. We have to have sort of a, a Rawlsian veil of ignorance placed over our eyes in which we pretend that babies have no interest in life prior to when we pay attention to them. At the minute that we take off our sunglasses, we go, oh, look, a the baby. Then all of a sudden the baby has an interest in life. But the minute that you actually note that there is a baby there, now, all of a sudden, all of your petty concerns seem rather secondary, don't they? So right there in the title, this Texas team wanted an abortion. She now has twins. The conclusion of that statement, she now has twins, completely invalidates everything that came before that because the twins exist. And here's the thing. They always existed from the point of conception. These were human lives with potential. And that's the entire theme of the article. The entire theme of the article is supposed to be about how terrible this woman's life is. But it cannot outweigh the simple fact that there are now living human baby girl twins who are alive because this woman was not able to kill her babies. So here's the article, and I think it really is telling. Brooke Alexander turned off her breast pump at 6.04 p.m. and brought two fresh bottles of milk over to the bed, where her three-month-old twins lay flat on their backs, red-faced and crying. Running on four hours of sleep, the 18-year-old tried to feed both babies at once, holding Kendall in her arms while she tried to get Olivia to feed herself, her bottle propped up by a pillow. But the bottle kept slipping and the baby kept wailing. And Brooke's boyfriend, Billy High, wouldn't be home for another five hours. Please, fussy girl, Brooke whispered. She peeked outside the room, just big enough for a full-size mattress, and realized she'd barely seen the sun all day. The windows were covered by blankets, pinned up with thumbtacks to keep the room cool. Brooke rarely ventured into the rest of the house. Billy's dad had taken them in when her mom kicked them out, and she didn't want to get in his way. The hours without Billy were always the hardest. She knew he had to go, as they relied entirely on the $9.75 an hour he made working the line at Freebird's World Burrito. But she tortured herself, imagining all the girls he might be meeting, and she wished she had somewhere to go to. Okay, so again, this is supposed to be, she's so miserable, things are, it's so terrible. Man, wouldn't she be living the free and happy life if she had just been able to kill these babies in the womb? And as we'll see in this article, this perspective completely falls apart on contact with reality. Brooke found out she was pregnant late on the night of August 29th, two days before the Texas Heartbeat Act banned abortions once an ultrasound can detect cardiac activity around six weeks of pregnancy. It was the most restrictive abortion law to take effect in the United States in nearly 50 years. For many Texans who have needed abortions since September, the law has been a major inconvenience forcing them to drive hundreds of miles and pay hundreds of dollars for a legal procedure they once could have had at home. 
but not everyone has been able to leave the state. Some people couldn't take time off from work or afford gas, while others faced with a long journey decided to stay pregnant. Nearly 10 months into the Texas law, they've started having the babies they never planned to carry to term. Texas offers a glimpse of what much of the country would face if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade this summer, as has been widely expected since a leaked draft opinion circulated last month. If the landmark precedent falls, roughly half the states in the country are expected to dramatically restrict abortion or ban it altogether, creating vast abortion deserts that will push many into parenthood. Now, I, I do love the way that the Washington Post is pitching this thing, right? You can see they're setting this up to be an anti-life article. It's, it's going to be a pro-abortion article. You can see it, right? It's going to be a, a, an abortion desert. Now, you might say, you might call that a pro-life garden where babies are actually born, but no, it's an abortion desert, right? Where no person can obtain abortion. People will be pushed into parenthood. Now, you might be saying to yourself, wait a second, aren't the vast majority of people who are going to bear their babies to turn not victims of rape or incest? They actually had voluntary sex, which has as a byproduct the possibility of having, yes, you would be correct. But again, the Washington Post is setting up this article to be a rebuttal to all pro-life positions. And as we'll see, it completely fails on all fronts. Here we go. Sometimes Brooke imagined her life if she hadn't got pregnant and if Texas hadn't banned abortion just days after she decided she wanted one. She would have been in school, rushing from class to her shift at Texas Roadhouse, eyes on a real estate license that would finally get her out of Corpus Christi. She pictured an apartment in Austin and enough money for a trip to Hawaii where she would swim with dolphins in water so clear she could see her toes. Okay, so now you've got her priorities, right? These would have been her alternative priorities if she hadn't actually had her children and then brought them to birth and raised them. So on the one hand, two living babies. On the other, trip to Hawaii, hanging with the dolphins. You can see that this is starting to fall apart real quickly for the Washington Post. When both babies finally started eating, Brooke took out her phone and restarted the timer that had been running almost continuously since the day they were born. She had two and a half hours until they'd have to eat again. Now, I love how the Washington Post treats like the basics of parenthood as though this is impossible. So for literally tens of thousands of years, human beings have been doing this sort of th stuff. For, for all of... My babies, we have we have three. With the help of God, we'll have more. Now, with all of our babies, we have to do this sort of stuff. So treating you know everyday acts of parenting as though this is a a massively undoable burden. Uh, th this can only be written by a media reporter living in one of the blue cities where abortions are more common than births, because for the rest of the world, this is just what we call living a normal life with small children. This is what it's like to raise a baby. Brooke and Billy first met at the downtown skate park with a big group of friends one clear night in May of last year. They didn't talk that first day, but Brooke noticed how effortlessly Billy dropped into the quarter pipe, the way his blonde hair flipped out from underneath his red beanie. She followed him on Instagram. Her stomach did a little dance when she saw that he followed her back. Soon they were spending almost every day together, throwing themselves into the Gulf of Mexico waves on Padre Island, watching the sunset over the pier. At the skate park, he'd help her do the tricks she'd been scared to try alone. Pinky, promise me you'll do it, he'd say, all blue eyes and dimples as she peeked over the edge of the ramp. Once he hooked her little finger, there was no backing down. Billy was different from the other guys Brooke knew. He held her hand in public and introduced her to her dad. When she took him to the mall, he grinned each time she stepped out of the dressing room, telling her how good she looked in each new crop top she tried on. He made her feel pretty. I wasn't used to feeling that, Brooke said. Brooke took the pregnancy test at 11 o'clock on a hot night at the tail end of the summer. When the two pink lines appeared, she looked over at Billy, then slid onto the bathroom floor, finally connecting the signs she'd ignored for weeks. The nausea she'd chalk up to food poisoning, the two missed periods. That moment a few weeks back when Billy put a hand on her stomach and asked if she was sure she wasn't pregnant. Okay, so the, the two missed periods would have been the, the dead giveaway right there. Leaving Billy in her bedroom with the pregnancy test, Brooke grabs her keys and drove to her best friend's house, where they sat on the bed and examined her options. She could always get an abortion, she told him. Then, then he reminded her of something she vaguely remembered seeing on Twitter. A new law was scheduled to take effect September 1. Brooke had 48 hours. The abortion clinic in South Texas, two and a half hours from Corpus Christi, had no open slots the next two days with patients across the state racing to get into clinics before the law came down. So first of all, there's something 
appropriately dystopian about the idea that there is one place where you can still kill your baby in the nearby area. And it's just swamped. Like people are just we, we got to kill our baby today. Like now's the day. When Brooke called, the woman on the end of the line offered the names and addresses of clinics in New Mexico, a 13 hour drive from Corpus Christi. In the meantime, the woman said Brooke could get an ultrasound somewhere nearby. If she was under six weeks, they could still see her. We're going to see how far along it is. Brooke texted her dad, Jeremy Alexander, later that night. See if abortion is an option. What's the cutoff date? He asked. They just passed a law today. She responded in the early hours of September 1st, referring to the ban that had just taken effect. What the effing odds? I, be I believe it's six weeks. Fingers crossed. Four question marks, her dad said. But first of all, there's something deeply wrong with the, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that the baby is small enough that you can still kill it. This article is not going in the way the Washington Post wants it to go, and it gets worse. Brooke found a place that would perform an ultrasound on short notice and scheduled an appointment for 9 a.m. The Washington Post continues. And I'm reading this at length because, again, I think that it's important to notice that when the euphemisms slip away with regard to abortion, once the babies actually come into the picture, the pro-choice position completely collapses. It just disintegrates. The Washington Post writes, whenever a new client walks into the pregnancy center of the Coastal Bend, they're asked to fill out a form. After all the usual questions of name, date of birth, marital status, comes the one that most interests the staff. If you are pregnant, what are your intentions? From there, the team sorts each client into one of three groups. If they're planning to have the baby, LTC, likely to carry. If they're on the fence, AV, abortion vulnerable. If they're planning to get an abortion, AM, abortion-minded. The Pregnancy Center of the Coastal Bend, which advertises itself as the number one source of abortion information in the region, is one of thousands of crisis pregnancy centers across the United States, anti-abortion organizations that are often religiously affiliated. When Brooke showed up with her mom for her appointment, she had no idea she'd walked into a facility designed to dissuade people from getting abortions. Up, oh, these are the bad guys in the piece. As we'll see, they're not the bad guys. The entire moral narrative that the Washington Post is telling right here, it does not hold. Brooke also didn't know how much significance her form held for the staff. By signaling she wanted an abortion, she became their first AM of the Texas Heartbeat Act. Brooke heard about the sensor from her mom's friend, who knew she needed an ultrasound. This place offered them free. Brooke felt a sense of calm, sitting in the waiting room, lulled by its decorative throw pillows and soft watercolors of ocean scenes. But behind the scenes lurked the lady who wants her to have her baby. Oh, no. The advocate assigned to her case, Angie Arnhold, had been counseling abortion-minded clients at the pregnancy center for a year. While many of the center volunteers signed up only to talk to LTCs to have happy conversations about the babies their clients couldn't wait to have, Arnhold, a 61-year-old who wears a gold cross around her neck, oh no, she's Christian, she's bad, felt called to do what she could to help women make a good decision, she later told the Washington Post. Back in the consultation room, Brooke told Arnhold all the reasons she wanted to get an abortion. She had just enrolled in real estate classes at community college, which would be her first time back in a classroom since she dropped out of high school three years earlier at 15. She and Billy had been dating only three months. Okay, so again, the priorities we now have from Brooke, if she gets the abortion, I've dropped out of high school at 15. I'm going to go back and take a real estate class at the community college. Also, maybe eventually I'll be able to save up enough money so I can swim with the dolphins in Hawaii. On the other end of this, you have two innocent human babies. I'm failing to see the moral balance here. Sitting across from Brooke and her mom, Arnholds opened a woman's right to know, an anti-abortion booklet distributed by the state of Texas flipping to a page titled Abortion Risks. The first risk listed was death. As Brooke listened to Arnholt's warnings of depression, nausea, cramping, breast cancer, and infertility, she tried to stay calm, reminding herself women get abortions all the time. Still, Brooke couldn't help fixating on some of the words Arnholt used. Vacuum suction, heavy bleeding, punctured uterus. And then the Washington Post had serious complications from abortion are rare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they never point out that the vast majority of women in the United States who give birth and go all the way through the process of pregnancy, they have a recovery period and then they're fine. Starting to panic, Brooke looked over at her mom. When she found out Brooke was pregnant, Terry Thomas told her daughter to get an abortion. 
While she was a devout Christian, going to church a few times a week and twice on Sundays, she had her own views on this particular issue. Well, I mean, I feel like there's some play in the joints here. Thomas had her first kid at 20, she said, just as she was transferring out of community college with hopes of starting law school. If the timing had been different, she said, she might have been a prosecutor. Instead, she hopped from one retail job to another, bath and body works to Walgreens, to Home Depot. Growing up, Brooke said, she bounced back and forth between her mom's house and her dad's, depending on who was the more stable parent at the time. Her happiest years as a kid were spent with her dad on a tree-lined street with a ping-pong table in the garage and a trampoline in the backyard. But then Brooke's dad started using cocaine. Well, Alexander had been sober for a few years now. Back then, he couldn't kick the habit. Around the time he stopped paying all the rent and sewage started backing up in the toilets, Brooke moved back in with her mom. With her mom, Brooke always felt like she was tiptoeing. If Brooke forgot to turn off the lights or do the dishes, Thomas would start yelling. Thomas felt she had every right to respond that way because she was a hen in her hen house. Arnholt, okay, so again, now we're not, we're not just making the Washington Post the case for one generation of abortion. We're making the case for two generations of abortion. Apparently, Brooke should have not been born because then mom might have been a prosecutor and dad, who apparently turned into a cocaine addict, what, would not have been a cocaine addict or something? Of course, Brooke would then not exist, and none of this would, would be a moral issue at all. Arnold ushered Brooke into the ultrasound room, where Brooke undressed from the waist down and laid back on an examination table, looking up at a large flat-screen TV. As the ultrasound technician pressed the probe into her stomach, slathered with gel, Brooke willed the screen to show a fetus without a heartbeat. The technician gasped. It was twins, and they were 12 weeks along. We'll get to more. Okay, so this is where the article takes a wild left turn, or should I say a wild right turn? Because now the babies are real. And once the babies are real to people, it is impossible to argue for their killing. And now it becomes impossible to argue in favor of their killing. So again, the, the, the notion that all of this is a matter of moral apathy lasts precisely as long as you pretend that the baby doesn't exist. But in the article, once the baby exists, now the Washington Post is in trouble because they can't talk their way out of this one. And by the way, by the time you're talking about a baby that is 12 weeks old, you're talking about skin and fingernails beginning to grow. You're talking about the, the changes triggered by hormones to make the external sex organs appear, not sex assigned at birth, like actual biological sex. The kidneys are making urine. Like this is a very mature baby at 12 weeks along. Are you sure, Brooke said? Oh my God, oh my God. Thomas recalled saying as she jumped up and down, this is a miracle from the Lord. We are having these babies, which is the normal human reaction to, oh my God, you have twins and they are 12 weeks old and they're healthy and they're growing inside you. Brooke felt like she was floating above herself, watching the scene below. Her mom was calling the twins my babies, promising Brooke she would take care of everything as the ultrasound technician told her how much she loved being a twin. If she really tried, Brooke thought she could make it to New Mexico. Her older brother would probably lend her the money to get there, but she couldn't stop staring at the pulsing yellow line on the ultrasound screen. She wondered if her babies had heartbeats, as these women said they did, was aborting them murder? These are the questions that become unavoidable the minute you get past the euphemisms and the Washington Post made the mistake. They got past the euphemisms. It's a problem. Eventually, Arnholt turned to Brooke and asked whether she'd be keeping them, and Brooke heard herself saying yes. And then it talks about the pregnancy and, and how she and her, and her boyfriend formed a plan in which she would join the Air Force as soon as he graduated from high school. Apparently, this would be bad, right? In, in, in the Washington Post view, it would be very bad if he joined the Air Force. By the way, his actual alternative to joining the Air Force was apparently that he was going to hang out at the skate park. I kid you not. So in other words, these babies didn't just get to live. They also created a plan whereby mommy marries daddy. Daddy drops being a bum at the skate park and actually goes to the Air Force and becomes a responsible human being. And mommy ends up married with kids. I fail to see how this is the, the horrific ending to the story that the Washington Post had sort of promised here. Right? This is, apparently she drops out of, of real estate school. But again, she dropped out of high school at 15. So I, I don't find that, 
particularly like to blame that on the on the babies alone or blame that on the pregnancy seems a little bit off. But here is the conclusion of the of the article, because this is the part that really is amazing. Okay, because it talks about what exactly she ended up doing. It says three weeks later, the baby stayed home while Brooke and Billy drove to the courthouse. Billy was about to leave for a five month stint in basic training and technical school for Brooke to qualify for military benefits. They had to get married. Oh, no. You mean forming a nuclear family in which dad is around to help take care of the babies? No. This is the worst of all possible worlds. At 11 o'clock on a Monday morning, they walked into a courtroom with an American flag behind the bench. Brooke in a flowery sundress, Billy in jeans. She looked around for white dresses on Amazon, but couldn't justify the 30 bucks. She was terrified she'd run out of money while Billy was away. The loneliness scared her too. She kept imagining the long nights alone in Billy's house, trying to calm two crying babies without him. He wouldn't have his phone at basic training. She would hear from him mostly through letters. She knew she'd have to manage that little voice in the back of her head. What if he changed his mind about their life together? Standing with Billy in front of the justice of the peace, Brooke told herself that one day they'd have their love story moment. She'd walk down the aisle in a wedding gown. Their friends and family would cry and cheer as she and Billy publicly declared how much they meant to each other. I, Brooke Alexander, take thee, Billy Hyde, to be my wedded husband, she repeated. If it wasn't for the Texas law, Brooke knew she might not be standing here. And this is the conclusion of the Washington Post and the fact that the Washington Post thinks that this moral balance, what they're about to do, the balancing act they're about to do, is even remotely close to equal on both sides, demonstrates the perverse morality of the pro-abortion movement. If it weren't for the Texas law, Brooke knew she might not be standing here. She'd probably be studying for her next exam, while Billy mastered some new tricks on the quarter pipe. She liked to think they'd still be together, spending their money on movie tickets and Whataburger instead of diapers and baby wipes. Yes, a, a life worth envying. She would be studying for a real estate exam, and Billy would be bumming it up in the skate park, and maybe they'd still be together, and maybe not, and they'd be going to Whataburger. She told herself that alternate life didn't matter anymore, because this is true. She had two babies she loved more than anything in the world. I do, she said, tears in her eyes. Brooke pulled out her phone once they finished the ceremony. One hour, 15 minutes. Time to grab some lunch and head home. The babies would be hungry. Yup. Okay, so that is the most pro-life article in recorded memory. And it is all courtesy to a Washington Post that somehow can't understand that the minute you make babies real in people's minds, the minute you make human life real in people's minds, all of the other concerns go away and they all look petty and stupid, by the way. They all look dumb. I'm sorry, the, the life, and it's all inherent in the photo. Okay, the photo on that, on that article is a photo of her with both babies in front of her. And then we're supposed to believe that her alternative life, maybe, maybe one day she gets her real estate license, maybe she's able to see her toes in the Pacific Ocean or something. But that outweighs the two living babies that are sitting right there in front of her. The pro-choice movement, when faced with, you know, actual non-euphemisms, it completely falls apart. If you want something that's not going to fall apart, I'll tell you about a t-shirt that's not going to fall apart. Cuts, like that transition, huh? Cuts, clothing, they make the best t-shirts. I know because it's literally what I wear every single day. I am not even kidding you. This is the only type of t-shirt that I wear because they are just so comfortable and they fit me like they are supposed to fit me. Cuts clothing is the best. Cuts Clothing has spent years perfecting men's t-shirts, taking the look good, feel good motto to a whole new level. Right out of college, Cuts founder and CEO Stephen Borelli got a job at an agency with a casual dress code. In his first week, he was told that his t-shirt was too athleisure so he searched all over for a better t-shirt, couldn't find one, so he made one himself. I love my Cuts Clothing. So they've got everything from the Henleys to the Polos to the long sleeves. There's something for everyone. They've got great colors. They've got great styles. Cuts is fantastic. GQ labeled them the only shirt worth wearing, and that happens to be correct. The moment you try on one of these shirts, you will get it. They're super comfortable. They're incredibly durable. 
They last for a really long, they're not going to fall apart in the washing machine. Refresh your wardrobe in time for summer with Cuts. See for yourself why Cuts is one of the fastest growing men's brands with over a million shirts sold. I probably bought like 10,000 of them. Get 15% off your first order by going to cutsclothing.com slash Ben. That's C-U-T-S clothing.com slash Ben. Cutsclothing.com slash Ben. Now, by the way, this is true for most of the principles of, of the hardcore social left. When the principles of the hardcore social left meet the light of day, they are self-refuting. This is true all over the place. And this is true when it comes to, for example, LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign, Pride Month. All of the arguments that are made with regard to, for example, teaching this stuff to kids, they're self-refuting. So, for example, you have um, a video that's been making the rounds on the internet of a teacher talking about coming out to his four to five-year-olds. I say his because this is a biological male. I only use biological pronouns on the show because self-defined pronouns mean nothing because self-defined words mean nothing. You don't get to have your own English language. That's not the way this works. So on TikTok, you know, courtesy of Libs of TikTok, of, of course, here is a preschool teacher talking about how he came out as trans to the kids because these are people seeking validation from children. And you tell me if this is not self-refuting. I finally decided to come out to my kids. And my kids are older, they're four and five. And the way that I did it is just read them a book about this teddy bear that uh, kind of comes out as a trans girl. And it's really nice and it's very simple. They understood it right away. And I think what made me cry the most was that afterwards, like I kind of looked at them and there was just a silence in the room and I just thought like, oh my God, now they see me as a totally different person. And before this, they loved me. I was such, uh, you know, one of their favorite teachers and it felt so good to have that. And I think that's one of the biggest fears I had is that as soon as they found out about me, they would lose all love for me. And then one of my kids breaks the silence and she gets up and she just is like, she just hugs me. Okay, I have a question. Is that not self-refuting? You have a biological male with once again, a voice deeper than mine <laughs> talking about how he has revealed himself as a female to small children and crying over his validation at the hands of small children. This is, you're saying the quiet part out loud, guys, which is that this is not about the care and health of kids. It is about you validating yourselves by going to a bunch of kids who are too ignorant to know better and confusing them about gender and sexuality. That, that really, it's about you. It's not about the kids. And this is why one of the most Orwellian lies that we've seen when it comes to LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign ampersand tilde. One of the great lies that we've seen is that this is about the protection of children. It is not about the protection of children. It's about you validating your own lifestyle in the eyes of children so that you can bring up a new generation of people who will nod approvingly at whatever you decide to do. It isn't about the kids, it's about you. Because kids need boundaries and they need to understand the wisdom of the ages that has been passed down about the biological difference between men and women and about the different gender roles. Yes that are evolutionarily attendant to that biology. Those are important things for kids to know. And you want to obliterate all that, not because you care about the mental and physical well-being of children, but because you wish to harm those things on your own behalf. And this is now extended all the way up into the precinct of our most cherished institutions here in the United States, which is why the Washington Free Beacon has now revealed the Navy doing full-on educational sessions in preschool style to members of the military about the use of preferred pronouns. Now, I ask you, does this look like a military that's going to win a war? You think the Chinese are quaking in their boots at this? Also, what exactly is your recruitment directed at? Seriously, it used to be that the military recruitment efforts were directed typically at young militant males who would then redirect that testosterone-laced energy into war with our enemies. 
That's what most militaries are based on, not just the American military. They're heavily male for a reason. They're heavily young for a reason. Young males tend to be more aggressive and violent than other forms of humanity. And here we are trying to suggest that not only does gender not matter, we should obliterate the gender binary in favor of the military of the United States being used as a social engineering tool, which is not going to bode well for the future effectiveness of the United States military or recruitment efforts. Let's say that you are a young male who is interested in a patriotic young man, loves the American flag, interested in fighting for the military, which, by the way, has been the traditional description of recruits in the military. You think that you're going to go into a military that seems to prize the trans flag above the American flag? You think that that's going to be a, a real priority for you? Let's see how the recruitment efforts go over the next few years. So here's this video from the Navy, from the Navy. My name is Johnny and I use he, him pronouns. Hi, and I'm Kanchi and I use she, her pronouns. And we're here to talk about pronouns. What is a pronoun? A pronoun is how we identify ourselves apart from our name, and it's also how people refer to us in conversations. Using the right pronouns is a really simple way to affirm someone's identity. It is a signal of acceptance and respect. If it's a signal of acceptance and respect, how do we go about creating a safe space for everybody? I wasn't aware that the military was about creating a safe space for everybody. I thought it was about creating an unsafe space for our enemies, mainly. But apparently that is no longer a priority in the United States Navy. This is madness. I'm sorry, it's madness. And this is not a slur on anybody who's currently serving in the military or who will serve on the military, far from it. It's saying that when you design military policy around social engineering of far left issues, it is self-defeating and perfectly obviously self-defeating. You have a, a man here who is explaining that he is he him wearing a rainbow sweatshirt and a woman who is wearing some sort of lettering with the trans flag coloring, explaining to members of the United States Navy why it is important to create a safe space for everyone in use of pronouns. Yes, it seems like our society is in the best of hands. Meanwhile, speaking of self-defeating, Megan Rapinoe, who has made a name for herself by being one of the most privileged people on planet Earth, namely a woman who makes her living actually playing a sport that no one watches except once every four years during the World Cup when we are forced to watch by the media, which has decided to make women's soccer the most important thing in America. Megan Rapino, who also sued U.S. soccer along with her, her teammates for pay discrimination, despite the fact that they voluntarily signed a contract based on certain levels of pay. And so she came out the other day and she said, quote, I am 100% supportive of trans inclusion. People do not know very much about it. We're missing almost everything. Frankly, I think what a lot of people know is versions of the right's talking points because they're very loud. They're very consistent and they're relentless, says Megan Rapino. Um, so I have a question. If Megan Rapino is so much in favor of trans inclusiveness in women's sports, why don't we just obliterate the women's category altogether and you can get your asses kicked by a bunch of under 14 boys from the Dallas football club, which is precisely what happened to the U.S. women's soccer team. Like they practice with junior high boys, the women's soccer team. That is not a slur against women playing soccer. That is to point out that if you obliterate gender distinctions between male and female and pretend they don't matter at all, but then you reap the benefit of being a female soccer player, you don't get to have it both ways. 